are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, it's a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. Thanks for listening and for subscribing. I'm Wes Goldberg. I'm here with my co-host, David Ramil. And from The Athletic, it's Sam Amick. We're going to talk about the Warriors struggling, the Lakers shutting things down. But let's start in Houston, where the Rockets beat the Hornets 118-106 to to win their ninth straight game during this win streak. It's been the defense that has stepped up here. Uh, They entered this game allowing opponents to score an average of 106.1 points per 100 possessions. That was good for sixth best uh, during this streak. And tonight they held Charlotte to 106 points. Sam, have you noticed anything different about Houston, or are they just peaking now at the right time? Wes and David, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, If I had to highlight one thing, I think honestly – Clint Capella being back is, is the biggest thing. Uh, I actually broke down some of those numbers today. You know, they the Rockets lost Chris Paul for quite a while. They, they lost Clint for a while. I think there was a seven-game crossover, you know, where they, they were without both those guys. And uh, I'm going to cheat here, and this is without this latest Charlotte win being taken, having been taken into account. Um, but, you know, since they got uh, Clint back, I mean, that – Actually, I, I just previewed something that I don't have, so false alarm there. But the, de- the defense <laughs> has been has been a, a lot better. And, and Clint, just that ability to be a rim protector and a guy who's capable enough getting out to shooters um, has been big. And then Chris Paul being the head of that snake, where his offensive numbers have not been you know very good. He's been pretty efficient since he came back. But defensively, you know, we know what he can do. So to me, those are the two biggest factors. I, I kind of like the addition to Kenneth Faree, too. I, I'm curious to see if you, if you guys think that he's made a positive impact, as much of a positive impact as I do, because he's averaging 15 points per game in his 16 appearances with the Rockets, and it's a nice boost off the bench. They haven't had a whole heck of a lot of depth, obviously, after the clearing out the roster uh, earlier this season. So to get a guy like Fareed on the cheap and, and have him be a, a crucial part of this playoff push seems like it's a nice added boost. Are you seeing something from Fareed? And maybe I'm not because to me, I, I feel like he's been a welcome addition to Houston's lineup. No, I like it a lot. In fact, it's, it's interesting as you guys know, timing is everything a lot of times in the NBA and <clears throat> Kenneth is a guy from Denver to Brooklyn and beyond where it's like, you know, it felt like his best days were gone. They were behind mm-hmm. him. And I remember covering him in the uh, FIBA world cup, and in Spain and it it was like you know here was this guy who in that setting was at different times the best player on the floor when they had AD on that team and you know it's just kind of wild to even think back and look at that and then he just had a fall from grace he just wasn't really conducive to today's league in terms of what he brings to the table but his combination of of just the the effort with their pace and the way they spread that floor uh, he's been a lot better than I thought he would be I mean I thought it was an interesting pickup when they got him you know, but both he and Austin Rivers have helped them a pretty decent amount. Yeah, I think a big key for Fareed, too, is he's only played 28 games this season. And this is a Rockets team that is full of veterans. They're uh, guys that went to the, the very stretch run of, of the Western Conference Finals last year. Guys that have a lot of mileage on, on their odometers. Kenneth Fareed doesn't because exactly what you're talking about, Sam. He's sort of just fallen out. Of, he fell out of the rotation in Brooklyn. Um, ends up signing with Houston. And now he's playing over a guy like Nene, who really seemed to have taken a step back um, with Houston this season. And so the Rockets are able to have this two-man rotation of Capella and Fareed now, just like these 
energetic, rim-rolling guys, Capella being back and being healthy. He finally looks like he's healthy. He's able to, both of those guys are able to get out and switch on the perimeter. And just having those guys to do those things just boosts their defense so much. And then, uh, you know, the addition also of Amon Shumpert I thought was useful for them. Eric Gordon is starting to step things up defensively, I think, because he was sort of in this offensive slump for so much of the season. Maybe, you know, coaches or, or he decided to sort of redirect some of that energy towards the defensive end. And when he was younger, he was a great defensive player, only just sort of recently started falling off on that end in Houston. So he's kind of right. refound that as well. And I think things are, again, starting to peak for Houston here. When We're going to talk about the Warriors later, but they're, they've fallen off here in a, a little bit. Um, Denver has been sort of up and down, and, and we're not necessarily sure while they've been, con- you know, they're still the second best team in the Western Conference based on their record. We don't know if they're really a contender. Where the Rockets have sort of been there and they've done that and kind of again went it taken the Warriors all the way to the end of a, of a Western Conference final series. If I if I'm a Rockets fan, I'm feeling really good about where this team is at because this is exactly when you want to be playing your best basketball, right, Sam? Yeah, hundred percent. In fact, I went to Boston for the Sloan Conference last weekend, uh, two weekends ago at this point, I guess, and. The that's when Houston just boat raced uh, over the Celtics, had a great game, maybe the best one of the whole year. And I remember uh, James Harden talking about how, you know, they're finally healthy, finally finding their identity, playing their best ball at the right time. Uh, so I'm with you on that front, Wes, and I and I agree with you on Denver as well. You know, just saw them against the Warriors, which was a bad night at the office for Denver. And what's interesting about their situation is, you know, it's just I said it earlier, timing is everything, whether it's a, a player like Fareed, hooking up with the right team or a team on the whole getting the pieces to fit at the right time. So with Denver, what they're struggling through right now is the Isaiah Thomas thing is not really comfortable. He's not playing Mm -hmm. well. And honestly, I think if you gave that front office some truth serum, you know, they would tell you that when they picked him up last summer, they did not know that Monty Morris was going to be as good as he is. And -hmm. it's creating a little bit of an uncomfortable dynamic because, you know, he's sitting there as a guy, Monty, that, that now has taken a step back because of Isaiah um, and, and just a little it's just uncomfortable enough to I think throw that, that group off of what they've been able to put together so I'm curious to see how that evolves over the course of the final month but uh, to swing it back to Houston I mean they really are not only playing well with the core guys that we mentioned but you know give Daryl Morey credit and Gerson Rosas in the front office and, and Monty McNair they just they found some nice diamonds in the rough when it comes to rounding out that roster after the offseason of, you know, no Trevor Ariza, no Luke Mabamute, and that whole narrative where we thought that they had just kind of lost what they had, and now they have kind of a, a new iteration of it. And speaking of Denver now, I mean, the Rockets are only a couple of games behind them in the Western Conference standings, just like that. They, the, Houston getting the number two seed, not out of the question. That's, it's very possible. So we'll have to see um, how the season wraps up and if Houston can indeed do that. Meanwhile, in Cleveland, the Raptors lost to the Cavaliers. 126 to 101, bad loss for them. Serge Ibaka showed his frustrations when he lost his cool. At the end of the third quarter, with just a second left, he went going. He went after Marquise Chris uh, after battling over a 50-50 ball. Ibaka grabbed Chris around the throat, pushed him into the stanchion, and then took a swing at Chris. Both players were ejected. Not really sure why Chris got ejected. I mean, self-defense. He took a swing. I guess you, you have to do it in that in that situation. But Ibaka came right after him, David. Um, what do you make of that whole situation? What do you think happens to Ibaka going from here? 
Well, I mean, Ibaka is certainly a guy who's had a short temper throughout his career. I mean, he can be goaded, and I think Chris just managed to get on the wrong side of Ibaka in a blowout loss there. And, you know, I think the it was the second night of a back-to-back for Toronto, so they might have been a little tired, a little frustrated there, and again, losing to a not a particularly good Cleveland team. And then as far as what Chris did, it seemed like they were jawing at each other back and forth and then kind of locking arms, as you pointed out there. Um, knocking Ibaka down. And I think, Sam, you mentioned before we started recording that uh, it looked like he may have been saying something to Ibaka as he was standing over him, just enough to, again, goad him and get him uh, fired up. And then Ibaka, you know, not 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 one to really calm a situation down and take a moment and step back. <laughs> he just reacted rather quickly there. And given Ibaka's history, I, I'd say we're looking at a pretty long uh, suspension there. So I know that um, the addition of Marcus Saul is one that's probably going to play a huge factor moving forward because Ibaka's probably going to miss about three to five games from what I've seen. Yeah, no, I agree. The Gasol addition now looks even more important for this little stretch. And, and granted, you know, big picture, Toronto's fine. They're in a very good spot. You know, they were pushing Milwaukee for that top spot. And, and maybe that hurts uh, the odds a little bit going forward here. But, you know, Marcus Saul so far had been, uh, you know, a kind of a tricky fit where – you could see Nick Nurse playing around with the lineups. He started him a couple of times. Um, I looked at it today. You know, he's had games where he played as little as, I think, 17 minutes. He's had games where he played 38. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're going to need the, the big Spaniard to go do what he does and fill in that gap. But Ibaka, man, he's, it's funny because we always kind of talk in the press room and whatnot about who are the legit tough guys in the NBA. I certainly would have Serge on that list. He does not mess around. I, I don't know what Marquis said to him. But, you know, we were talking off air, guys, about like the generational component of this fight where I don't know exactly how many years you'd separate the two of them. But it, it just felt like, you know, old man Ibaka coming hard for for Marquise. And uh, and, and but a dangerous, you know, I, I shouldn't make too much light of it because it's you're choking a guy and you're pushing him 15 feet. That's definitely not the kind of thing that Adam Silver wants to see. Yeah, he's going to take it seriously. I mean, I, w- I can't even imagine being Marquise Chris. And Marquise Chris is a lot bigger than me, but he's not the biggest NBA player. He's tall, but he's not like a big dude. Yeah. Ibaka's tall, and he's a big dude. And I was terrified just seeing the, the clip on Twitter. I was just, like, shaking in my chair here. Um, but you mentioned the, the race for the number one seed. This could really have an impact. Ibaka's had a nice season for Toronto uh, at center there, and they're only two and a half games back at the time of us recording this. Uh, behind the Bucks for for that one spot, and we know that they want that, especially given the the fact that Toronto's home court advantage has been pretty good for them this season. They're twenty seven and seven at home right now. Um, they lost this game; it was in Cleveland. So, you know, I think that's gonna that that could factor into things here. But then again, maybe it also gives them a chance. Like, could this almost be a blessing in disguise? Gives them a chance to really go like kind of lean all the way in to the Marcus All experience and try to figure out how to make it work instead of trying to juggle these two different centers. Um, it could be the case that, that that happens. And so maybe they come out the end of the end of this with a, a better sense of how to use Marcus Hall. I know, Sam, you've got a piece coming out for The Athletic here pretty soon that goes more into depth than that. And uh, um, we're looking forward to reading that and seeing what happens here. Um, and we'll know exactly what happens with this with this suspension going forward. That's sure to come. It's just a matter of how many games. Right. But um, the Warriors are 4-6 and six in their last 10 games, and they're about to embark on a tough road trip. We'll talk about what's going wrong in Golden State after this break. The first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first-round upsets, or all of the above, MyBookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. 
Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with a title? Can Virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year? And can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't know the answers, MyBookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everybody, and I'm talking about you, multiple bracket guy. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the very best customer service in the business, and the best part is they pay out fast when you win. I'm talking within 48 hours, folks. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash in. Deposit with MyBookie today with promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 50% sign-up bonus. With MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. The Warriors haven't won back-to-back games in a calendar month, and the team keeps pointing to a lack of energy and focus. Uh, Sam, the Warriors talk about needing to play better, and they talk about wanting to secure home court advantage. So why can't they just seem to flip the switch here? Um, I think a lot of reasons. Although, man, Wes, that, that's a pretty good little tidbit, having no back-to-back wins in the calendar month. I mean, that really, I think, encapsulates what they've been mm-hmm. going through. And, and I think about the level of frustration that they have experienced recently. And I've been around them a lot in the past week to where you just you could be there for 20 minutes uh, around that group and figure out that it's not a great mood yeah. right now and and you know what you just kind of captured tells the story perfectly because as we know these players a lot of times their moods depend on success or failure and you lose a game now you're in a bad mood until the next game and then you win one and, and the wins never feel as good as the losses feel bad and and that inconsistency i guarantee you is driving them nuts and i mean to, to pinpoint the why, you know, I don't know. It's funny because, like, DeMarcus Cousins, and to go back to that puzzle pieces story that, I, that I'm putting together, all right, so he's the newest, biggest puzzle piece that they have tried to fit in. All in all, they're 14-5 and five with him. Like, that's actually a better winning percentage than they've had without him. So uh, tricky, imperfect integration, you know, a lot of work to still be done when it comes to smoothing that out. But I'm not going to sit there. I mean, I'm not going to say that's it. Um, you know, I don't know where else I'd look from there other than personal dynamics and the fatigue of all these, you know, finals runs. I really think that mm-hmm. yet again, we are seeing a similar thing. This is about the time that it was last year when they kind of fell off a cliff and lost whatever it was, 12 out of their final 17, something along those lines, and just were not a good team. And it's just something else to see psychologically how they struggle to to kind of get through this part of the year. And last night, I mean, honestly, Clay Thompson coming out and saying what he said about the fans after they lose to Phoenix. And, and, you know, listen, as somebody said earlier in the day, Clay's approval rating with fans is somewhere between 99.9% and 100. (laughs) They love him. And it was so surprising to see him essentially, like it's not clickbait or any hyperbole to say that he went after the fans. He did. Like he said, you know, he basically said, you know, it'd be nice if he stood up when we do something nice. You can just tell they're reaching. If you're leaning on the fans and you're saying that it's you guys got to help us get out of this hole, then it's not a, even a Maybe that's true, but I think it's also very telling about where they're at. Yeah, the Suns were coming off the end, the, 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 the second night of a back to back, and they're the only team in the Western Conference that are eliminated from the with playoffs. If you need savings. the with, with daylight, daylight savings, savings on an early Sunday game. I mean, yeah. that's it's got to be one of the shortest turnarounds in the season. Right. Um, switching time zones, too, I think. I mean, that's nuts. Yeah. Um, 
David, we've seen this before, right? Like the fatigue at the end of a of like sort of this dynasty finals type of of run here. We know we know the '98 Bulls, right? We know the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. You and I saw, you know, the the end of the Big Three Heat era. Is this just? Can you just kind of chalk it up to this is just sort of what happens to these types of teams? Yeah, I, I think it's fair. I mean, the the scrutiny, the constant media attention, the dissection of everything that happens, even you know. A kind of a toss away comment like what Clay said. I mean, everything that happens within this team is scrutinized and under a microscope, and that gets exhausting. I mean, you've seen Kevin Durant's comments throughout the season. He's clearly under a lot more pressure, whether it's self imposed or not. And I think uh, they're not playing with a lot of joy. But at the same time, I mean, we're kind of overstating things, right? I mean, if, like, to Sam's point, we saw these same struggles last year. What makes us think that they even should or want to really, you know, flip a switch now in March when it doesn't really matter? I mean, at the end of the day, not to to use the off-use cliche from NBA players, but, you know, they're going to continue to win a lot of games. They're going to find a way to turn it on in the playoffs because they are that talented. They are that good. Barring any injury, they're still the best team in the the league. I think even with um, the Bucs playing at at such a high level, they've got the third best record even as they incorporate – you know, the Marcus Cousins, even as they try to get players off, you know, through the injuries and things of that sort. I mean, they're still really good. I, I look, I think, you know, it's easy for players to get exhausted um, as they're constantly going to these long playoff runs. Um, this team had, I think, a boost of energy from adding Durant a couple of seasons ago. That's kind of, you know, run its course, obviously. And, and now they're looking for answers as far as finding motivation. We saw this last year. They they were a bored team, and I think that's carried over into this season, even with the addition of Boogie. Um, you know, they're they're finding a, a trying to find a, a reason to get motivated for the 82 game grind, and they haven't found it. Um, and it's it's tiring, it's exhausting, but I still think that come to the playoffs, this is a team that's going to be as dangerous as ever, and they're going to find their purpose in trying to win another title. To piggyback on that, David, I, I, I agree with you on all of that. I, I would probably argue that it just – I just think it goes a little deeper than that because it's this tough combination of fatigue and frustration. And, I mean, we saw it, you know, and I know Steve Kerr is upset that, like he put it, you know, like he said it, it's like 1984, the old movie with George Orwell that mm-hmm. now everything you say is videotaped and, and chronicled, mm-hmm. but he got caught on camera saying i'm so sick of draymond's sh and like that's you know that's you know a reality i think these guys are sick of each other on a lot of days i really do and mm-hmm. you know, I had the draymond durant thing early on that left scabs you know and wounds that you know have not probably totally been healed um you've got steph curry who by the way steph is one that we always overlook because he's never going to share any real raw perspective publicly but you know i think in between all these different subplots and sagas that get chronicled in the media, there's stuff with Steph that, that we never see, you know what I mean, in terms of the emotional component of how he fits into the group. So uh, I just wonder when they hit the playoffs if they look around and they don't like each other like they used to, if they can actually still get the job done. And, and I think Kevin's free agency certainly is, continues to be the kind of thing that is kind of tugging at, at all of them. And, you know, we know that they're not playing with the joy and that that, that was sort of – the PR line that they went into the season with, like we just want to, you know, we're we're playing with house money. I think they said at one point uh, during yeah. media day, and just you know, and they and they have not acted like that basically since day one. And it's not even like you know, not to just come to the defense of the media all of a sudden, but it really isn't a media narrative that 
that's being driven here. This team, even after wins, reacts almost sometimes like they they just lost if they didn't like blow out a team or if they just like barely squeaked by a team that they should have blown out. And it is sort of like I think they want to flip that switch. Like I don't think this is just the court. Like they're just like kind of you know kicking the can down the road of this eighty-two game season. It feels like they're trying to figure something out. And they're just not able to do it. And every time they talk, it, it started out being like, we're not coming out with energy. We're not coming out with focus. We're not coming out with urgency and all this stuff. But lately, and Sam, I think you can attest to this, they, they're using this word disconnected more and more. Yeah. And I keep hearing, I keep seeing it pop up. And I'm just like, look, you, like, I could, like, I get it if you're not playing with joy or urgency in March. Like, I could live with that. But if you're disconnected, wasn't that sort of the whole point of this whole thing? Was that you were connected? Wasn't that the whole reason Durant joined this group? Was because of all the ball movement, because of you know the the switching style on defense where everybody yes. has to be on the same page. It's that was mad, like but it's, it's the gone. whole thing. I'm and it, you, yeah, it's, it's gone. If, it's, and if you're disconnected, I actually wonder if there's an opening now in the Western Conference. Like I am kind of concerned yes, about this group is. because this isn't like besides Durant. This isn't an isolation team. Like, who else is like you've got? They rely on being connected to win games. No, and I think he. I think he would in the playoffs. By the way, we're going to probably see a return to that philosophical discussion about ISO ball versus you know three hundred plus passes a game that happened mm-hmm. last year. Remember in the conference finals that became such a thing because you know Kevin wasn't moving the ball like they typically do. Um, I think part of that kind of seed that germinated was that that's Kevin's preferred way to play, and he bought in for a while, and I think he's probably not buying it all, all the way anymore. Um, as a quick aside, I always kind of laugh. That whenever I fly in and, out, uh, in and out of the Oakland airport, Kevin has a sponsorship with Alaska Airlines <laughs> yep. that is plastered all over everything at the airport, and it says one-on-one service just all over the place, which I just <laughs> think is great. It's just very apropos. But, like, that's going to be a thing. Um, you know, for crying out loud, somebody, I forget who it was, but in the media caught Kevin in the tunnel last night talking about, you know, that we're not playing mm-hmm. championship level basketball and kind of dropping a few F bombs, whatever he said. Like the frustration is there. Um, and then we'll Can't, see if I, they can, maybe Andrew Bogut can come save the day. I, I doubt that. Um, look, I, I, you know, to, to tie it back to Wes, your original question, look, I, I, we did see this in Miami. I mean, I, I had gone in the 2013 14 season and seen. LeBron kind of slowly detached himself from that group, kind of keeping the same theory of, of disconnection in place there. Uh, you know, it seemed pretty clear that he was done with the Miami team and Dwayne Wade's uh, maintenance program, Chris Bosch, you know, kind of in and out and not being necessarily the most consistent player. They didn't have all the key pieces there contributing at a high level. And despite all that, and yeah, you could say it was the Eastern Conference or whatever, they were still able to beat down a pretty good Indiana Pacers team that was challenging them. They were still able to get all the way to the finals. And they were one bad AC away from uh, maybe stealing a game in San Antonio and possibly contending for a a third straight title. So I don't know. I I think we're looking at this, and I think there's a a level of exhaustion from media and fans kind of hoping that another team will step up and challenge the Warriors Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think we'll be looking in June and seeing the same Warriors team in the finals. Well, I just I, we keep going round and round, and I, I hear you on that. I think Houston is the one. If I was going to mm-hmm. pick one, the way they're playing right now, and I'm being a little bit prisoner of the moment, nine in a row, um, they have determination to finish their own story. And there's a major, major caveat on that front where you say if Chris Paul can stay healthy, and that's right. about as about as big an if as there is. 
Um, but, you know, since he came back, I mentioned it earlier, the defense has been better. I mean, they just – they want to finish what they started in the conference finals last year because they've never uh, – they're not hearing that the Warriors' whole counter about how if the Warriors had Iguodala, you know, not getting hurt before Chris right. got hurt, that, that they would have won the series. They, they 100% believe they were the better team and just, you know, the basketball gods were not uh, smiling on them. And and just quickly before we move on here, I'll, I'll plug something that you wrote, Sam, about the uh, Milwaukee Bucks and, and just Giannis's presence there, and the fact that they are actually playing with joy. Like whatever joy the Warriors lost, the, the Bucks picked up and found it. And we kind of keep saying we, we're we're talking about Houston and Golden State here. Like who comes out of the West? If the Warriors come out of the West and the Bucks come out of the East. Look, I'm not a big NBA betting guy. I'm not like in like, I don't know the odds and stuff. I can't really speak to it as much. But if I was an NBA betting guy, I would be looking at the odds for Houston. I'd be looking at the odds on Milwaukee right now, because maybe like Sam, I'm being prisoner of the moment here a little bit. Just Warriors don't seem right to me. That's all I'm saying. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of things not seeming right, over in Los Angeles, the Lakers are shutting things down. Brandon Ingram was going to miss the rest of the season with a condition caused by a, a blood clot issue that is very serious, but I'm not a doctor. I don't want to play I don't play one on podcasts, so I don't want to deep dive uh, too deep into that. But uh, Lonzo Ball is going to join him on the shelf with his lingering ankle injury. On top of all of the, the LeBron's new load management program. And then on Monday, it was announced that they're going to sign Andre Ingram to a 10-day contract, reprising the feel-good story from last season. Not that Andre Ingram is going to help replace Brandon Ingram or Ball or LeBron, um, but also on Monday, your colleague at The Athletic, Sam, Bill Orham, wrote that Luke Walton is expected to be the fall guy after this season. Now, with all of these roster limitations, is there just, is the writing on the wall for Walton? Is there anything he could do at this point? Well, it's, it just kind of depends on who you believe. Um, you know, when I was at that Sloan conference and talking to people who definitely would know, um, you know, there was an insistence that it was not a foregone conclusion that Luke was gone. I just mm-hmm. don't necessarily, it just feels like that's not the case and that he is gone. Uh, we shall see, you know, and certainly uh, as Mark Stein has reported at the New York times in coaching circles, which is the way he phrased it, that it's 100% you know expected that Luke is going to lose his job and that'll be a vacancy, but mm. we shall see. I think, you know, I honestly, I really enjoyed what Bill wrote because I thought he hit the nail on the head when it comes to the, idea philosophically that you know if the lakers go ahead and do this that they are betraying the values that they told the entire public and their fan base that they claim to espouse and that they were trying to kind of go down this road where luke at the time was seen as a guy you know and this is coming out of genie bus's mouth and coming out of you know everybody else that he was the kind of free agent pickup that they couldn't get in the summertime player wise but they wanted to build around luke and have the coaching carousel come to an end in Lakerland. Um, and if you look at this season, like has Luke made mistakes and, and had, you know, plenty of mediocre nights at the office? Certainly. You know, when, when I talk to coaches who can see the game in a way that I simply can't, they will tell you this is a little confounding, that's a little confounding. Fine. But then when you break down all the injuries, when you break down the roster construction and the fact that, you know, you literally, like Bill wrote, you you constructed a roster in the kind of way that was completely counterintuitive to LeBron's first 15 seasons in the NBA. Everybody knows you surround him with shooters. That's how you get the job done. That's how you get to the finals. And they went the other way. Guys who were defenders and playmakers first. 
and it, it backfired. But the thing is, I can't ever remember a story that was so transparent and easy to see coming like this one where the media mm-hmm. fans, all the above, everybody said this is a disaster. It's not going to work. And guess what? It didn't work. So it's hard to see Luke as the guy who should pay for that. I'm, I'm trying to think, has there ever been a coach that has survived a transition from uh, in the front office like this? Like the, I know that the, the line that's off repeated is they want to bring in their guy. You know, they want to bring in somebody that they feel comfortable with whenever there's a change in the, in the team president or general, uh, general manager or something like that. They always feel like they want to bring in somebody that kind of is an extension of that front office's values and core values and things of that sort. And I guess they didn't see Luke in that sense, but I'm, I mean, it, it seemed pretty clear that from day one, unless he was able to somehow miraculously turn the season around and take that bad roster and shape it into a legitimate contender, which didn't seem likely, as you pointed out, Sam, um, that Luke was probably going to get fired. And that's unfortunate. Sure. I mean, I, I don't think he was, I don't think he's been, you know, he hasn't been, as you said, a great coach every day, but he's had some fine moments and, um, you know, he was there during the lean seasons most recently. And, and so he, he was doing the best he could with what he was given. Um, and I don't think he's the answer here. Um, and I don't know that there is another answer. I mean, I, I'm trying to find off the top of my head another coach that can come in there and all of a sudden take over. If you know, We're assuming that this roster is going to be pretty much the same next year or whatever changes they, they undergo, that's going to be a challenge for any head coach that takes over this job. Look, it's, it's a nice position because it's the Lakers, but there's an immense amount of pressure there. I mean, you're looking at this job. I don't see it as a lucrative one. I, I mean, I don't see one that wants to – I don't see anybody wanting to jump into this explosive situation. I know there are only 30 jobs out there, so you take them when they're available. But, man, I, I wouldn't want that Lakers head coaching job if there was another one available, to be honest with you, because there is an incredible amount of pressure with the Lakers fan base to work with LeBron, who we know is temperamental and difficult with coaches, and to take that roster, unless it's incredibly improved over the offseason, it's, it's not a, a fun coaching job, at least not from my eyes. No, those I agree with all those points, and, and I, I tell you what, if I could be a fly on a wall and hear one conversation, I think it would be the one where Magic goes into Jeannie's office and says, I want to make a change, because right. I actually think Jeannie might force him to answer the question of who are you bringing in, right. and if mm-hmm. she doesn't like the answer, or if there's not an answer yet, I almost there's, there's a small part of me that wonders if she doesn't say no, uh, because... Again, like the thing, and again, I keep pumping Bill's column. I thought he really killed it. But the thing that Bill called Magic out on was, and Jeannie, to be fair, is the idea that when they hired Magic, uh, you know, she was quoted at the time as saying that, you know, one thing that was important to her was the way that Magic saw Luke. And so she, at the, the outset, tried to make sure they were on the same page in that regard. And then fast forward to seven games into the regular season, as you guys know, it was just so puzzling at the time. It's all right. They're two and five, but they've had suspensions already. They've had injuries, and Magic comes in to, to Luke and rips him a new one with Rod Palenka in the office. And it was you know really really early to go that route, and that sent the message that you know you don't have the front office's backing, and it's been that way ever since. So um, just a lot of layers to it. But you know I, I'm I'm a sucker for trying to answer the end of the question as well or the equation. Like all right, if it's not him. Who's it going to be? And my last thought on that front, guys, is it is pretty fascinating how, and I was talking to Bill Orem about this today, like LeBron has managed to go an entire regular season without almost saying anything about Luke, like the entire time. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, In fact, I almost wanted to go back and do like a 
timeline to and, and you know make sure I didn't forget any quotes. Um, that that part has been fascinating because he has certainly kind of kept himself removed from that situation, at least in public. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah that, no, that part. Yeah. I mean, listen, I don't mind. This has been widely reported. I mean, it's you know his. I'll, I'll only speak for you know for his agent, Rich Paul, is widely known to not be the biggest fan of Luke's. So right. I don't know exactly how Luke, how LeBron sees it, but um, you'd be naive if you didn't think that was a factor. There just seems to be a lot of different voices in that room between Jeannie Buss, Magic, Rob Palenka, who we haven't really talked about, LeBron, this clutch team like we were just talking about. And uh, it does seem to be, you know, things are sort of marching towards possibly Luke being relieved of his head coaching job. But I do wonder, Sam, you're talking about all this. And, and I'm sort of thinking, like, I can almost already see the headlines this summer of Jeannie Buss has to decide between Magic Johnson and Luke Walton or something mm-hmm. crazy like that, right? Like, it, I, if, I, if, if I anything is... Magic's in trouble. I just, he's okay. too much of a, of a an icon. Barring yeah. a surprising turn of events. Um, you know, but, yeah, I do wonder a little bit about Rob. You know, mm-hmm. you've got, you've got the, the... Rob's a day-to-day guy, and... You know, these were roster decisions that backfired. And I know that shooting was the number one concern all across the organization. And again, it's tough to, like, there's been a lot of fans, you know, calling for Luke to get a shooting coach and change the assistant coaching staff, things of that nature. There's part of me that's like, all right, you got LeBron has never been worse at free throws. Like, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but all across the board, they just, they didn't pick up guys who could shoot the ball. I've got I've got a theory, the perfect coaching candidate for the Lakers that will make everybody in Laker Nation happy, Kobe Bryant. Hey, there you go. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Finally, Kobe and LeBron can win a title together, bring the Lakers fan base that's been split in their loyalty together. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Obviously, the ties with Palinka, Magic, etc. And look, if LeBron wants to win an Oscar for Space Jam 2, Kobe's Kobe already knows how to get one. Uh, make sure to make sure to follow Locked On NBA Net on Twitter for all of your Locked On local experts on one easy-to-use feed, and check out your favorite team's podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Don't forget to subscribe to Locked On NBA on your favorite podcast platform. Rate, review, and say nice things about us. Thanks to Sam Amick. Make sure to check out his work over at the Athletic. We got the Clippers and Blazers tonight. David, who you got? Look, normally the the Blazers don't play as well away. The Clippers play well at home, but they're on the second night of a back-to-back. As much as I think Patrick Beverly can harass Dame Lillard, I've got to give the edge to Portland here.